0: Welcome back to Parkside Green's Bible Study. Uh, Pastor Steve here, excited to be with you again. Uh, Last week, we saw that there was a lot that was new with Jesus, right? A a new call to sinners, a new method to ministry, a a new approach to Sabbath. And with all that newness, there are also a lot of surprises with Jesus. I don't know if you're the kind of person who likes surprises or not. Some people just prefer to know what's going to happen and and surprises make them freeze up or can even experience surprises as stressful and negative. But for other people, unexpected events, surprises add vitality to their lives. And in fact, brain research shows that surprises can release that kind of feel-good dopamine well, in this week's passage, Luke 6, verses 12 to 36, we will look at several surprising aspects of God's kingdom organized under four headings. First, we'll see surprising leaders, in verses 12 to 16. Secondly, surprising power, in verses 17 to 19. Thirdly, surprising futures, in verses 20 to 26. Then fourth and finally, surprising actions, in verses 27 to 36. So we begin with surprising leaders in verses 12 to 16. When we're facing a big decision, it's always a good idea to take it to the Lord in prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus does, right? He has many disciples who are following him. In fact, a few chapters later, he's gonna send out 72 laborers into his harvest. But from among his many disciples or learners, Jesus will choose 12 whom he will name as apostles. And before choosing these 12, Jesus continues all night in prayer to God. All night. You see, prayer was absolutely vital to Jesus staying in step with God's leading, just like prayer is for us. When the night of prayer ended and the sun came up, it was daytime, Jesus called his larger circle of disciples or followers, so it would be clear to everyone which 12 were named as apostles, right? The the specially authorized messengers whom Jesus would send out. And when we step back and think about it, I mean, Jesus selects some surprising leaders. Uh, it may be easiest for you, I find it helpful, to, to think of them and remember them in pairs, right? The first pair we have Simon who Jesus named as Peter, the the rock, the stone. He's a former fisherman, he he knows he is a sinful man. And second, with him is Peter's brother, also the fisherman, Andrew. And then third and fourth are their business partners, James and John, the the sons of Zebedee. We met them in an earlier chapter. So, so far we have two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and all four of them are fishermen. (laughs) which is a kind of a surprising background for future religious leaders. Fifth and sixth are Philip and Bartholomew, who are never mentioned again in Luke's gospel. And in fact, they appear in Matthew and Mark's gospels only in these lists of disciples or apostles. Then number seven and number eight. Matthew is the other name for Levi right? the tax collector who would have been a scandalous choice for one of Jesus' apostles. And then Thomas is mostly known from what the Gospel of John tells us about him, that he was a twin, that, that initially he doubted that Jesus really rose from the dead, and though of course he came to believe, my Lord and my God. He's been stuck with the name Doubting Thomas ever since. That brings us to number nine and number 10, uh, we have our second James. This one isn't the son of Zebedee, but the son of Alphaeus. And we have our second Simon. This one called the Zealot. And uh, as you know, Zealots were political activists who wanted to overthrow the Roman rule over Israel. So it's especially surprising, right, that Jesus would put this anti Roman Zealot in the same little small group with Matthew or Levi, who had served the Roman Empire as a tax collector. No matter what our backgrounds, those who would have been natural enemies can be friends in following Jesus. Lastly, at number 11 and number 12, we have two Judases. The first is Judas, the son of James, who seems to have also gone by the name Thaddeus, as recorded in Matthew and Mark, and the last apostle, A specially authorized messenger of Jesus is Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Judas shows us that it's possible to be around Jesus and and around his sincere followers and not be a true follower oneself. In fact, John 6.64 tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. Imagine inviting into your inner circle someone you know is going to betray you. I mean, when you step back and kind of look at this motley crew of a dozen guys, they are certainly surprising leaders. Then, as now, Jesus usually works through people that we would consider ordinary people. And these surprising leaders are going to be witnesses of Jesus' surprising power. You see, as Jesus came down from the mountain to a level place with his prayerfully chosen personnel now in place, he was surrounded by a great crowd of many other disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, even the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. It's very possible would have included some Gentiles. I mean, people were coming from all directions to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. And these people experienced surprising power. Those who were troubled with with unclean spirits were cured. Jesus continued to show his power over unclean or, or evil spirits. And besides that, all the crowd sought to touch Jesus because Power came out from him and healed them all. You remember before the story of the paralytic, how Luke 5.17 told us that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal? And the same thing is true here where power came out from Jesus and healed all who touched him. So Jesus had prayerfully chosen surprising leaders. Jesus had displayed surprising power and Jesus would teach the people about surprising futures. Jesus exalts, you see, what the world despises and he rejects what the world admires. When Jesus lifted up his eyes to his disciples, his disciples are the audience for the words that follow, okay, he said, blessed are you who are poor. Jesus' disciples, his followers might be poor now, but theirs is the kingdom of God where they're going to enjoy spiritual riches beyond measure. Jesus' disciples might be hungry now in certain situations and from time to time, but it won't last forever. They'll be satisfied when they recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Look ahead to Luke 13, 29. Jesus' followers might weep now, but God's going to wipe away all their tears, and in the future they'll laugh. In the words of Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. In this life, Jesus' disciples might be hated, excluded, reviled, and spurned on account of their association with Jesus, but they stand in solidarity with God's prophets, And they can rejoice in the day, even leap for joy, because they will experience great reward in heaven. You're part of a long tradition of God's suffering people, Jesus is saying. Listen, those who are deeply dissatisfied with life in this world and suffer for following Jesus will be blessed in the end. No matter how tough this life is, Jesus' disciples can rejoice or leap for joy because of their surprising futures. That's the good news, but there is also bad news that parallels it. Those who don't follow Jesus, they might be rich and and have comfort now, but they will face surprising futures without consolation. Think of the rich man and Lazarus, right? They, they might be full now, but they will be hungry. They may laugh now, but they will mourn and weep. The, the temporary pleasures that they enjoy in this life are really all they have coming to them. People may speak well of them now, just like the unbelieving Israelites, right? Spoke well of the false prophets, the false prophets who told the people what they wanted to hear. But whoa, God's judgment is coming and there's going to be a great reversal, a great reversal in the afterlife, not a happy surprise for them. Surprising leaders, surprising power, surprising futures, and surprising actions. Jesus' disciples are, are called the countercultural lives. It's common in the world to hate those who hate us and curse those who curse us and strike those who strike us, but not so for Jesus' followers. We are to follow the way of our master and to love our enemies. Don't hate your enemies. Actively love them. The first time the word love, agape, appears in the Gospel of Luke, Right here, and shockingly, that love is directed to our enemies. Do good to those who hate us. Don't hate them back, and don't even just be neutral toward them. Actively do good to those who hate you. As one commentator said, Jesus does not call his followers to a conventional ethic, but to an exceptional ethic. Very countercultural. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Right? It goes beyond the the self control of not cursing back to actually returning a curse with a blessing, and actually praying for the good of those who mistreat us. That's not natural. That is not natural. That's supernatural. Right? You see, Christians' actions are not to be determined by others' behaviors toward us, but by imitating the character of our loving, merciful God. Ever since the Oscars, everyone is talking about a very public slap, right? When someone insultingly strikes one of Jesus' followers on the cheek, we are not to strike back. Now, that doesn't mean that God-ordained government and law enforcement can't step in. Romans 13 teaches that. So we're not talking about perpetuating domestic abuse here. Rather, we're we're not to seek revenge or to merely act in a worldly way. That's the idea. Instead, we're to act in an other-worldly way. Or as another example, Jesus tells his followers to give to everyone who begs from them. Again, we're not talking about funding a heroin addict or, or, or an alcoholic in a way that's destructive, but rather sharing with those in need. If someone took away a cloak or outer garment from one of Jesus' disciples, surprisingly, they were to not withhold their tunic or inner garment either. If you must err, err on the side of generosity. right? They probably need it more than you do, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. We can meet personal affronts with an otherworldly perspective and radical generosity. Jesus' disciples are not to imitate the world, but to follow our surprising king by our own surprising kingdom actions. Jesus' disciples are not to imitate the world, but to follow our surprising king with our own surprising kingdom actions. Consider Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So extend Jesus' so-called golden rule, even to enemies, right? As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you just love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you do good to those who do good to you, What benefit is that to you, right? Even sinners do that. Mere reciprocity toward our our family and friends is insufficient. It's good, but it's not the fullness that Jesus calls his followers to. Same thing with lending, right? If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, right? When they're pretty sure they're going to get it back the same amount. Maybe I even loan to someone now in case I might need a loan from them later. (laughs) But what makes Jesus' followers different is that we love not just those who love us. We love our enemies. (laughs) Loving one's enemies is a command unique to Christianity. It's not found anywhere else. We do good not just to those who do good to us, to those who hate us, we lend, not just to get it back, but expecting nothing in return. Notice that throughout this section, the emphasis is less on feelings than it is on actions. These are the sorts of actions that demonstrate that we are sons of the Most High. I mean, after all, God is kind to the ungrateful and and the evil or wicked. So we also are called to be merciful, even as our Father is merciful. Again, Jesus is addressing his disciples, right? Those who have God as their Father. And when Jesus' surprising followers, then and now, engage in surprising actions, we are promised surprising futures. Jesus tells us, your reward will be great says it in verse 23, he repeats it again in verse 35, those who love in the radical way that God loves are truly blessed. There are just so many, many possible applications from this challenging section of scripture. As we close, I'm just going to briefly touch on three areas, but in your small groups, I know you will share many other ones with each other. Number one, always seek the Lord in prayer, but especially before big decisions. Always seek the Lord in prayer, but especially before big decisions. Secondly, as we face hardships in this life because we follow Jesus, be encouraged to persevere, right? Knowing that wonderful, surprising futures await us. As we face hardships in this life because we follow Jesus, be encouraged to persevere, knowing that wonderful, surprising futures, forever futures, await us. Third and finally, go beyond mere reciprocity and extend supernatural love to people who have it out for us. Be merciful and kind to the ungrateful and evil. That's what marks us as children of our merciful Heavenly Father. Third again, go beyond mere reciprocity and extend supernatural love to people who have it out for us, our enemies, those who hate us. Be merciful and be kind to the ungrateful and evil. That's what marks us out as God's children, children of our merciful Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your kingdom is truly a surprising kingdom, we marvel at the surprisingly ordinary leaders that Jesus so prayerfully chose. We marvel at the surprising power that came out from Jesus to heal all who touched him. We marvel at the surprising futures that await Jesus' followers. What a reversal you will bring about. And we marvel at the surprising actions that we're called to as Jesus' followers. Lord, there is just no way that we can live like this without your love filling us and your spirit empowering us. We want to be merciful, even as you are merciful, so we ask for your supernatural help through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.